two generations. One passion. This is Generation Red. Hello, Husker fans. Ken here with episode 19 of Generation Red, the kettle corn of Husker fan podcasts where we do our best to be sweet, but at times we do get salty. Yes, I am flying solo tonight because Scott is completing his mini vacation with his wife to Colorado right now. And since Nebraska has a bye week this weekend, we figured there's no need to do a preview episode for Purdue until Sunday when we usually record the show. So that's the plan. We will not record a, we will not release a preview show for Purdue until next week. However, Scott will be sitting down to record his thoughts on the Minnesota game uh, sometime this week after he gets home and will share those with the rest of us on the Thursday episode. So you'll still get two episodes this week. Uh, and only one next week, unfortunately. But that's what happens when you have a bye week. Anyway, my side of the conversation tonight is going to be revolving specifically around the Minnesota game. Uh, I will break down the game a little bit. I will also give you the final stats from the game for both the teams and some of the key players for both teams. We will also discuss uh, the results of the plus-minus game. I will give you my players of the game on offense, defense, as well as a honorable mention for special teams. And uh, yeah, that pretty much will wrap up all we need to say about Minnesota, because really, there's not much to talk about. I mean, what hasn't already been said on Twitter, right? (laughs) Uh, And then after we get done talking about Minnesota, (laughs) we will uh, go over the results of our top 25 six-pack of uh, games that we gave you in uh, last Thursday's episode and the results of all that good stuff. And then, of course, we will finish up with a review from Podcast Addict that just came through uh, this last week. So that is the plan for me. I am sorry. uh, My voice sounds like absolute death warmed over because I've caught the, the seasons are changing crud. And it's settled into my throat, not to mention the fact that I spent about three and a half hours on Saturday yelling at my radio. I was driving, so I spent that entire time listening to the game, not watching, because, you know, watching a game on your phone while you're driving a big truck is probably not the wisest thing to do. (laughs) So I didn't do that. Anyway, Minnesota. I do believe the Minnesota game can be broken down to four plays. Simple, because why go through the entire game, right? Why go through the entire first quarter, all the drives like we've been doing when really four plays tells the tale. So let's talk about them. Play number one would be the missed extra point on Nebraska's first touchdown. 
Connor Culp had been doing quite well. He hadn't missed an extra point since, I think, the Buffalo game. He had missed a field goal or two, I believe, in the Oklahoma game after that, and he hadn't really been tasked to kick too many since then. Uh, But then he comes out and misses an extra point. And I am sure that had two different effects. One, it had a positive effect on the Minnesota team because they thought immediately, oh, goody, Nebraska, all we have to do is hold them, don't let them score, and they're going to be hesitant to kick field goals. And the negative effect, of course, on Nebraska was, well, crap, here we go again. Can we trust Connor to get the job done? That was the first play. The second play for me would have been the uh, touchdown that I think was <laughs> that Martinez, I think, scored. But replay wasn't conclusive, so they couldn't overturn the call on the field. But really, the play that really decided much of the outcome of the game was the fact that Jacques Yant decided to get bit by the turf monster in the shotgun. And uh, the handoff from Martinez uh, looked good. It was a clean-looking play, and then Jacques saw that little crease that he could have lowered his shoulder and gotten through to get into the end zone, and his feet decided to fail him. (laughs) Because for some reason or another, Coach Frost didn't live by his own mantra of no fear of failure and didn't want to trust his offensive line to go get six inches by getting up under center and letting your big six foot two, 215-pound quarterback get into the end zone. But I digress. That was play number two that I believe drastically impacted the game. Uh, play number three would be on the next drive into the red zone in which Scott Frost did indeed trust Connor Culp with a chip shot field goal. And why wouldn't he, right? Connor had made a 50-yarder earlier in the game, right down Broadway, and then he pushes the uh, extra point, I believe, to the right. And then Frost says, fine, one hiccup, let's send you in, let's give you the opportunity to knock this 26-yarder through. And as our luck always seems to happen. He pushed that to the right as well. And I think at that point, Nebraska really had some momentum, but they killed it by themselves by not converting inside the one yard line on fourth down and not converting on the field goal attempt. So there we are, 10 points gone that could have been on the board, could have given Nebraska the 23 to 21 lead, but no didn't happen. From there, what's the next one? Oh, (laughs) we all know what the next one is. Uh, Three-time captain, the guy who's as good a leader on the field as as I think we've had in a long time at that position. Um, And I think largely because of the three previous plays that truly affected the game, he probably felt that everything was going to be on his shoulders in order to win that football game. So he rolls out in the end zone, throws the ball downfield, and it's called for intentional grounding, giving Nebraska, or no, giving Minnesota two points on a safety. And uh, they get the ball back when we punt it to them, and um, they go right down and score. Nebraska is now behind by two scores. 
And I'm here to tell you that this is a confession. And it's not exactly a confession that I'm proud of. But I need to make it anyway. I was actually hoping that we wouldn't score again just so this god-awful streak of losing games by one freaking score would just go away. I'd prefer to lose by two scores, is how I felt at the time. And then Martinez does what Martinez never does, and that is goes on a beautifully orchestrated two-minute drive and scores, and I sat there and went, well, crap. We're going to lose by one score, because all we had left at that moment was to convert an onside kick and throw up a wing and a prayer and hope that we could somehow pull a miracle out of our collective backsides. But of course, that didn't happen. We had dug ourselves too deeply into a gopher hole, if you will, for Nebraska to recover. And 30 to 23 later, we are all left wondering as Husker Nation as to why in the blazes we saw basically almost a quarter-for-quarter, play-for-play repeat of the Illinois game. So, here's my take. After Saturday's game, as disappointed as I was and as shot as my voice was from yelling at my radio, I came away with that from that game with a bit of a different perspective than most. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's probably a bunch of people listening to this um, who will look at me and yell at their radio and say, wait a minute, you're making excuses now. And maybe that's how you feel. And that's fine. But let me ask you all a very probing question. It's simple. Have you ever lost someone extremely close to you? Suddenly, never saw it coming, and within 48 hours, you are required to perform a task that requires extreme concentration, and you struggle with it. You don't play your best, do your best. We're human. It happens. Just because these kids put on a uniform and that N on the side of the helmet that comes with some of the greatest expectations in all of college sports, doesn't mean that they're not human. We've seen the human side of this team far too often, and they have played extremely good football for the most part, with the exception of a few mistakes here and there. Throw in the distraction of a beloved coach on the team, not just by the defense, but the rest of the team as well, suffering the tragedy of losing his father in a single-car accident, on Thursday, and uh, you cannot tell me that those 19 to 24-year-old kids weren't distracted, weren't 100% walking out on that field. I believe we all saw it in that first quarter. I didn't, because I listened to the game. They mentioned it at the beginning of the game on the radio. They paid some attention to it, Uh, but then once they got into the call of the game, it was about the game. Unfortunately, I'm not sure the team, the entire team, was about the game at that point because they were were hurting for their coach. They were hurting for themselves and they were distracted. Which for me kind of puts the Illinois game in a different light. We all wondered way back before the season, remember? Many of us wondered, 
Will this be a distraction for the team? This NCAA investigation? This calling into question our coach's integrity by that fat little f***ing troll from Texas, whose name I will not mention, but we all know who he is. Uh, He works for a sports betting website now. (laughs) And not ESPN. I'm not exactly sure if he's the one to be calling a coach's integrity into question, but that's neither here nor there. I look at that Illinois game, seeing how the score was so incredibly similar to what we saw on Saturday. And I view that loss a little differently now, too. Distraction. I believe there was distraction involved. I believe the team was hurting for their coach. I believe they were ready to come out fired up, and it just didn't happen. When when your heart is broken, and when your emotions are on edge, and when the things you normally expect to go on in your life are derailed by something, it tends to derail your life. And for these kids, football right now is their life. And the loss of a family member of one of your coaches whom you love like a father, you cannot tell me that that doesn't distract your life, Uh, makes you incapable of living your life and performing your typical things in your life at the level that you usually can. So uh, that's my take on the loss. Uh, And still, still, when you look back and you see the stats, which we'll go over here in a minute, Nebraska had every opportunity to still win that game. They were the more talented team. Minnesota, yeah, they wanted it more. Yeah, they played better than us in many aspects of the game, as we'll see in the stats, but they didn't play that much better. They just got it done, and we didn't. So that's kind of my take. That's my recap on the game. Why don't we go through some stats? Total yards. University of Minnesota had a grand total of 19 more total yards than Nebraska did, 396 to 377. Martinez actually outpassed um, Minnesota by 27 yards, 241 to 214. Tanner Morgan had 209 of those yards. The backup quarterback threw that five-yard touchdown in the first quarter. And, of course, Morgan looked like Tom Brady for the first half, and then looked like Ryan Leaf in the second. Old fans know exactly who I'm talking about when I mention Ryan Leaf. Especially Michigan fans, because he damn near beat you in that Rose Bowl. And you shouldn't have shared the title, but that's just me. Um, rushing yardage, 182 for Minnesota, 136 for Nebraska. 83 of those coming from Ramir himself. Uh, let's see here. First downs was not all that different. Minnesota had 22, Nebraska had 19. Third down efficiency, both teams were not very efficient, believe it or not. Minnesota was uh, 3 of 9, or no, Minnesota was 4 of 12, and Nebraska was 3 of 9, so both of us were at 33%. Penalties, both teams only had 3 penalties for 25 yards, so both teams played quite disciplined football. The big difference... The biggest difference was in time of possession. 38 minutes and one second for Minnesota 
and 21 minutes and 59 seconds for Nebraska. As far as player stats, Adrian Martinez was 18 of 33 for 241 yards and one touchdown, no interceptions. He also had eight carries for a grand total of minus 17 yards. Yeah, they keyed on him. They sacked him a couple times, which uh, is where we get that number from. So Minnesota had a great plan for slowing down Adrian Martinez. Uh, Ramir Johnson, 11 carries, 83 yards, two touchdowns, one reception for six yards. So uh, he had a decent game until he got hurt. I have a feeling he was well on his way to 100 yards for the day, if not for the um, non-call on targeting, because it was literally helmet to helmet. The uh, Minnesota player stuck his helmet right into the side, right into Johnson's ear hole, and that should have been targeting. But of course, if you can't see that a quarterback has crossed the plane of the goal line, you're damn sure probably not going to notice uh, targeting either. Austin Allen, five receptions, 121 yards, leading the way for the receivers, plus he got a touchdown. Tanner Morgan was 20 of 24. Holy shit. Tanner freaking Morgan was 20 of 24, including 16 in a row in the first half. 209 yards, two touchdowns, but we did pick him off twice in the second half because that defense woke up starting in the third quarter. They shut them out in the third quarter, and without that safety, I don't think Minnesota scores in the fourth quarter either. Bryce Williams was 17 rushes, 127 yards for a 7.5 yards per carry, and a touchdown. Chris Ottman-Bell was all over the place making crazy catch after crazy catch. 11 catches, 103 yards, one touchdown with an average of 9.4 yards per catch. Great performance by him. I had a feeling he was a player that was going to hurt us, and he he did. Uh, So that wraps up the stats. I think hidden in those stats is the fact that Nebraska did have some guys that, that really excelled. In fact, three of those five receptions that Allen, Austin Allen had, were those three third downs that we converted. I mean, that dude was money on third down, and Adrian was looking for him. I think he was Adrian's first read on those plays as well. I'm surely hoping that we see a lot more of Austin Allen being the first read coming here in the future. Um, So players of the game for me for Nebraska. Uh, Let me start first with a special mention on special teams. Uh, I did not look up his stats. I could not find them yesterday when I was working on this outline. I should have looked them up today, but I was driving. So little grace, please. (laughs) But uh, Will Pristop had a good game punting. He did his job. He did not hurt us on the field position game. Hardly at all. He, he did well. I appreciate Will's um, efforts. I appreciate the fact that our punting game has vastly improved since Michigan State. Incremental improvement happened also on punt return. Thank you, Oliver Martin, for actually running one back and not just waving your hand and standing there and catching the ball. Uh, Oliver didn't hurt us at all in the game. Um, Brendan Frankie kicked everything through the end zone except for one, and the coverage was excellent on the one that was returned. So thank you, Mr. Frankie. Now, Connor Culp, I hope he takes the next two weeks and gets his head right, or Mike Dawson decides to give Brendan Frankie a look at place kicker uh, because, (laughs) ouch. 
Um, so there we go. That's my players of the game. Well, that was my special teams uh, highlight there. <laughs> my bad. Don't mind me. I am still trying to figure out how to fly solo. And it kind of sucks. I miss you, Scott. I really miss you right there on my screen talking to me or waving at me when you want to say something. I really miss it. Um, offensive player of the game is obvious. Five for one, five catches for 125 yards in a TD. Austin Allen was the man. And then on defense would be Cam Taylor-Brett. Nobody had double-digit tackles on our defense. A lot of guys contributed in the tackles department, uh, whereas Cam Taylor-Brett had seven. He led the team with seven. Uh, six of them were solo tackles, so he was out on an island a lot. He had a sack, he had two tackles for loss, and he had that incredible interception at the goal line going into the end zone where he literally got beat on the play by the receiver and then ended up beating the receiver to the ball. It was unbelievable. Great catch. So there you go. Players of the game, Austin Allen on offense, Cam Taylor Britt on defense, and Will Pristop on special teams. Outstanding job. Gentlemen, here's hoping some of these great games that you guys are having will turn into some W's going toward the end of the season. Plus minus was an interesting one. We had plus minus total TDs by Ramir Johnson, meaning not just rushing, but passing or even special teams. Well, obviously he didn't catch one or run one back, but he did score two on the ground. So I took the plus, so I got zero points. Scott took the minus, he got zero points. <sighs> but my buddy Michael in Alabama, one of the listeners playing the plus minus game with us on Facebook.com slash GenRedPod, he guessed the number. Way to go, Mikey. Good job, buddy. You got two points this week. The other one was plus or minus two turnovers caused by NU as a team, meaning could be on special teams or on defense. Well, Deontay Williams and Cam Taylor-Britt both intercepted Taylor Tanner Morgan, so that was the two. I took the number, so I got two points. Scott took the minus. He got zero points, so I now lead plus minus seven to five. So how about we do what we usually do with turds? Because the Minnesota game was kind of a turd. And let's flush it now. And we're going to move on to the Gen Red Top 25 six-pack picks. Well, let's see here. Generation Red's Top 25 six-pack was... Uh, Alabama versus Mississippi State. Alabama won 49-9. As I said in last episode, Alabama's Nick Saban has a tendency of doing really good at getting his team's attention after a loss. And by God, they didn't fiddle around with Mississippi State. We both picked Bama, so we both got a point there. Unranked Purdue beats number two Iowa. God bless you, Purdue. Thank you. 24 to 7. They didn't just win by a field goal at the last. They ran that game from start to finish. They had that game in hand. So we both picked Iowa. We both lost a point. Uh, number 10, Michigan State beats unranked Indiana. This was Scott's upset special. He picked Indiana. I picked Michigan State. So I gained a point. He lost a point. So at this point, we are at, uh, I am at 2 and 1. For his three picks, and he is at one and two. However, he will gain some ground now because uh, 
My number one game was Cincinnati, number three, versus UCF. And they beat the daylights out of them, 56-21. to 21. I'm happy for Cincy. Looks like they're probably going to move up to number two, I'm guessing, simply because of the loss that Iowa took against Purdue. So you've got Cincinnati now 6-0. and UCF is now 3-3. Three and three. And uh, I picked UCF. That was my upset special. Stupid move on my part. So uh, we are now 2-2, two and two, both of us. And then the next game was Oklahoma State beats number 25, Texas, 32-25. to 25. So yet again, Texas loses by one score. How does that taste, Longhorn fans? We've been eating that gruel for four freaking years now. So it's got to suck to be you, and I couldn't be happier about it. Uh, so we both picked OS Oklahoma State to win, so we each got a point there. So we're now at 3-2, and two, each of us. And then we both also picked Georgia to beat Kentucky, and they did exactly that, 30-13. to 13. So Ugga is now 6-0, and oh, Kentucky's now 5-1. and one. We each picked the win, so we both ended up 4-2, and two, which means that I am now 10-2 and two overall. Scott is now 8-4, and four, which is what we really both hoped that Nebraska would be. But, c'est la vie, there's always next year. <laughs> okay, look, look, I know, that was a horrible joke. But I don't care because this is my podcast and I don't have my son on the other side of a camera rolling his freaking eyes at me. So deal with people. Just deal with it. Anyway, four and two, ten and two overall. Scott is four and two and eight and four overall. So we will um good Lord in heaven, you know what I was supposed to do at this particular moment? I was supposed to give you my three picks for this next week's games because Scott's going to pick three as well, but I didn't do that. So what I'm going to do is something extremely unprofessional. I'm going to pause the recording and I'm going to pick three games. Hang on just a minute. Okay, so I am now back. I have three games picked. (laughs) You know what? I didn't even need to tell you that, but I'm going to leave it in anyway because you know what? I'm imperfect. Podcasts are imperfect. But uh, you know who is perfect? That is number three, Oklahoma, who travels to Lawrence to play the Kansas Jayhawks. Now, this is not exactly a compelling game. (laughs) Damn sure not a compelling matchup, except for the fact that Lance Leipold was doing stuff at Buffalo. And it will be interesting to see if he can hold that incredible Oklahoma offense in check. Good God in heaven, am I glad that Spencer Rattler was still the starter at Oklahoma when we played them. Because that Caleb Williams, holy smokes. Talk about a football player. That dude is unbelievable. Throws a nice pass and is just incredible running the football. Uh, So we'll see how how badly he carves up Kansas. Uh, Maybe this is a game in which Rattler gets to see some time. Because they get out to a lead early. But uh, I'm picking Oklahoma, obviously. Um, so there you go. Oklahoma beats Kansas easily. The next game on my list is Oregon, number 10 Oregon, at UCLA. Uh, Oregon's 5-1. and one, UCLA is 5-2. and two. Chip Kelly has that offense humming. I enjoyed watching their game 
against, uh, was it California the other night, Saturday night? It was a good game. Uh, that offense is really good. And Oregon is also really good. No, Oregon's who played California. I don't remember who who uh, UCLA just beat. But uh, Oregon is good, and that Thibodeau or whatever that guy's name is coming off the edge on their defense is just almost completely unblockable. Think uh, Chase Young from Oklahoma, uh, from Ohio State, but a little bit trimmer and a lot quicker. The dude is just unbelievable. It's going to be a fascinating matchup to see what Kelly does to deal with him and still be able to make that offensive his run. Uh, then my third game is number 25, Purdue, who's 4-2, and two, newly ranked, as you just heard, against 3-3, three and three, Wisconsin. They're at Wisconsin. Awfully hard to win in Madison. Is this a quote-unquote trap game for Purdue? <laughs> Can Whiskey figure out how to actually play offense? Oh, crap. I forgot to pick a winner in the Oregon-UCLA game. Okay, this is my upset special of the week. I think UCLA figures out how to get it done. Chip Kelly figures out how to beat his old team. I pick UCLA to win. I did not look up the over-unders. I did not look up the point spread because I don't care. (laughs) And my voice hurts, and I really don't want to talk any more than I have to. So, uh, number (laughs) Purdue at Wisconsin. Uh, Yeah, that... Wisconsin defense is awfully good, um, but that Purdue offense figured out how to turn Iowa over, what, four times? Um, good God, this is a tough one to pick. It really is. It's a tough one to pick because Wisconsin has been so bad on offense and Purdue seems to have found something. Um, I'm going to take Purdue. I'm going to say Purdue wins this one. So there you have it. I pick Oklahoma. I pick UCLA to upset Oregon. And I picked Purdue to beat Wisconsin in Madison. So, wow. What a college football season, huh? It's been something else. Uh, You know what else has been something else? The reviews. You guys keep sending them in. We've got a new one on Apple Podcasts that just came in a couple days ago, which was really cool. But I'll let Scott read that one if he chooses. There's another one on there that I think he'll probably read. I want to read a new one that popped up on Podcast Addict. And, uh... That It really did my heart a lot of good because I believe this person likely participates in the same um, same job that I do, which is really cool. So this one's on Podcast Addict. It's a five-star rating from a person named Just Trucking Around. And he says, well, I'm assuming he, what a great show and a breath of fresh air. In fact, this might be the greatest Husker fan-based podcast ever ever created all other husker podcasts suck swamp water in comparison except the husker cuzcast because those guys are cool hmm wonder who sent that in anyway um <laughs> i'm shameless i'm shameless no doubt I, I, yeah it was me um but hey whether they're my reviews or not, every five-star rating and every positive review helps us get noticed. I have no issue with tooting my own horn and trying to get us noticed. We've got, you know what, guys? This is incredible. We just cracked 600 downloads uh, this last week. In fact, we're well on our way to 650. 
Um, even with splitting our show into two shows per week, we're still getting the average, an average of about 30 to 36 downloads every single episode. I know that's not a lot. We're not backed by anybody. We're not on podcast one. We're not on any of the big podcasting networks. We're literally self-funded. We do this because we love Husker football. We love talking Husker football and we love the fact that people we love and care about listen and, uh, that's pretty cool. Plus there's quite a few people that we don't know and obviously don't love, uh, who listen as well. So thanks guys. Thanks for downloading every single week. We really appreciate it. Um, you know where to find us, right? Website is genredpod.com. Uh, our social media is facebook.com slash genredpod or at genredpod on Twitter. Don't forget to go to the Facebook page and play the Plus minus game. Uh, then our YouTube channel is Generation Red Live, where we will begin live streaming the podcast starting in January of 2022. There will be shows once a month. And one of those shows is going to be called the Big Red Roundtable. That'll happen once a month until the month of the spring game. Then we will do a regular episode of Generation Red. It will be a live stream, though. And whoever wins... The um, plus minus game on our Facebook page gets the choice of doing a live stream with us on the spring game recap or a live stream of the uh, season preview the week before the first game in 2022. So you want to be playing that that uh, plus minus game. If you want to be involved in any of the other live streams that we do throughout uh, the winter and the spring months, you are more than welcome to send us a request at genrpodcast at gmail dot com and give us your name we'll put you on the list and uh we will set up a schedule for whom all will be on those shows the husker cuzcast are going to join us for some of them uh hopefully some other podcasts will jump on board as well and then those of you who are fans we'd love to have you in there we're just going to sit and talk husker football uh, everybody will get the opportunity to bring a topic to the round table We'll take five to ten minutes to talk about each topic. So, should be fun. It should inspire some enjoyable conversations. So, I really thank you for listening to me for these last 45, 35, 40 minutes. I don't know how long I've been talking, but my voice hurts. And uh, it's time to sign this thing off. So, on behalf of Scott and myself, together, we're Generation Red. And we're here to remind you. That no matter what, Iowa's corn still sucks. Purdue is cool. Thanks for beating those guys. And there's no place like Nebraska. Oh, yeah, Scott's not here to say it, so I'll say it. Go Big Red. Beat the bye week. This podcast is not associated in any official capacity with the University of Nebraska or the Cornhusker football team. All opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts alone and are intended for entertainment purposes only. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Stay sweet and salty and go Big Red. Go Big Red.